Well, hey, can we continue the birthday party for a second? So I want to do something special, and I want you to be as hype as you were for Osagi, okay? Can you do that for me? If you had somebody at the well in the last nine years share the gospel with you, and you came to Christ, would you actually stand up right now? Would you stand if you came to Christ through the well? That's worth celebrating. Stay, stay up, stay up. If you've come to Christ in the last year, would you stand up? If you've come to Christ in the last year, would you stand up? There we go. Awesome. 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 Stay standing, stay standing. If you've had the joy of baptizing someone or leading someone to Christ here at the well, would you stand up? Would you stand up if you've had that joy? Man. It is so good. Would you got, hey, just give God praise. That's awesome. This is what we're celebrating. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. Man, I, I love seeing how God has continued to move. He's moved even during COVID. We're baptizing people. God has continued to move through this church family. And so it, it is a joy. It's really a privilege for me to be up here with you. When we get to celebrate a lot, I mean, We've got UT football back. We've got pumpkin spice lattes back. I feel like every time the well has a birthday, it's time for a pumpkin spice latte. And Dondo's out. So we're going to have fun with this. And uh, I'm excited to wrap up our One Place series with you. This really, if I had like three messages to give you before I got hit by a bus, this would be one of them. Okay, so it's going to be good. But today's message is entitled One Place. Empowered by the hope of glory. We are empowered for a mission and a task that God has for us. So what does it mean to be empowered? It means that you've been given the authority, the power, and the resources to accomplish a task, mission, or purpose. If you're going on a mission, you need a plan. You need to believe in that plan, and you're going to need some fuel for that journey. Thankfully, God has given us a plan. Uh, Tyler Collins and I did not have a plan. When we went to the Grand Canyon this past spring, in fact, we didn't have a place to stay. We thought, we'll get there and we'll camp, not realizing that it was March and that there was going to be 10 inches of snow on the ground. So we decided to sleep in the Jeep that we had rented, and we we get there, and it gets down to about 17 degrees. And so then we say, you know what, we're going to hike the next day. Let's just go ahead and hang out in the hotel lobby. So we did that for about two hours, and we start our hike. We're tired, we're exhausted. We go down the South Kaibab Trail and then we're gonna go up the Bright Angel Trail and yes, you guessed it right, we're gonna try and do 21 miles in one day. And you know what our fuel was? Peanuts, pretzels, and water. Not a great idea just to survive on trail mix. We had a terrible plan. We had little to no fuel in us, no sleep, very little uh, idea what we were doing in the first place. And for most of us, that sounds like our typical Monday morning with our spiritual life. We have no plan. We don't know how we're going to go about this mission that we're supposed to do. And we have no idea how we're going to fuel this process. So what fuels you? I mean, what is consistently fueling you towards the mission of God? What's going to give you fuel on this journey? As we wrap up, we've been focusing on reaching the lost. That's really our main thing we've been trying to get across. One of our distinctives here at the well. And our elders thought, you know what, let's not just say, hey, everybody's called to go share the gospel. Let's call our people to a place and be intentional and give us a plan in a lot of ways. And so we've given you this one place interactive PDF 
calling you to have one place, a strategic location where you'd really go, and then two hours of prayer that you'd actually commit and partner with God in prayer there. That you'd be there for three hours and be present just three hours a month. Doesn't sound like a lot. It's a lot when you commit to something. Four proclamations over the course of the year. Would you actually proclaim the gospel that you just sang about and you sang about what a beautiful name it is? Would you actually do that? And then really to seek to build relationships with five people. Uh, We believe that each Christian is an ambassador of Christ. There's no bench in the Christian life. You are in the game already. And we want to resource you for this. We want to resource our family in a lot of ways. And so additionally, we've given you practical resources. And you can go to our website and look at those. Uh, But as we look through the scriptures, most of all, probably our best resource, amen, that we get from God, that the Holy Spirit has spoken to us, we see this whole narrative through scripture from Adam and Eve to Revelation that God is redeeming his people to himself. That you and I would not be in this room right now unless God wanted you to be. That he has spoken to you and he's revealed himself to you. In fact, we see that it's through Adam and Noah and Abraham and David and all these characters have some evangelistic call. Because they're representing God to people. They're representing the one who is worthy, the one who's worthy of putting our hope in to others. To remind us of our mission, uh, we read Acts 1.8, and I want to read it again. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We, we know the end of the story. We know that in Revelation that we get to be before our King and our Savior. And if you're in this room, you know too much not to be a part of that mission. You've heard the story. You've heard what Jesus has invited you into. And if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, I would say you're missing out out on the greatest adventure you can have in the human life. He's not just invited you to himself. He's invited you to be his witness. That you would actually be filled with power, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God, to actually make a difference with somebody's eternity. I don't know if you realize that you are a part of eternal business. That God has invited you into what he's doing in the world. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes, it comes fast. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes, it takes years. And you got baptized at like five years old and you're just growing nice and easy. But I remember a guy coasted us in Greece. We were at our one place there. It's called the White Tower. It used to be a jail during the Ottoman Empire. That's a long time ago, okay? And there he's walking around and he's having a really tough time. He's actually suicidal. And we said, hey, Kostas, can we pray for you that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that God would move and work through you? And it looked like he got a pick six and he starts doing lunges and running and he's screaming. He said, what is this fire within me? What is this joy? I've never been this happy in my life. And it was because he was free from his sin and he was filled and he had purpose. And we went around the next two days and shared the gospel with some of the craziest people I've ever met in my life. Because that's exactly what God wanted to do with this guy's life. There was people that only Costas could reach that I would have never dreamed of finding or being in those kind of neighborhoods. God used him and filled him with the Holy Spirit to do the task that he had for him. He empowered him to do that. And I hope as you've been a part of the well, you've noticed how pretty much every week Tori or whoever's preaching ends our gathering with saying, well, church, you are sent. You are sent. 
See, the well is just not a place that we come to, but it's a place we are sent from. In fact, it's really a people we are sent from. We're coming together weekly to replant, to re-encourage, to reinvigorate ourselves with each other, being able to look at each other, worship, and say, I'm not the only one in Austin, Texas, singing what a beautiful name. That you are blessing each other and calling each other to mission every time we are sent out of this place or wherever we gather. And when we're sent, we, we really need to have a few attitudes, if you will. We don't want to be sent just passively and just go for the fun of it. We don't want to be sent for the name of the well. We want to be sent for the name of Jesus. And so three things, and yes, they start with the same letter, but that's okay. We're in church, okay? Three things, three attitudes I want you to have as we are sent, as we wrap up this series together. Number one is brokenness. That you would be broken. Broken for the sin in this world. Broken for your own sin that you'd be broken for the lostness of this world. The second is belief, that you would believe the gospel enough to actually share it, that you believe Jesus means what he says. And the third is boldness, that you would have an attitude of boldness, that you would both be humble and bold simultaneously. So first, an attitude of brokenness, that we'd be broken over our sin and realize, man, God loves us. If you're in here and you don't know that, I have to start with that today. God loves you. He's forgiven you. He's given his son on the cross to die for you. And he's given you new life. And that you'd be broken for the lostness of this world that so many in this world do not know the hope of Jesus. Tori kicked off our series a few weeks ago. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because he talked a lot about how Jesus saw the harvest as plentiful and how the workers are few. And I can only imagine if only 10% of our church found a one place and started sharing the gospel, how many people would actually come to Christ? If we actually did what we say we want to do as believers in Christ, how might that impact eternity for the glory of God? That we're invited into that. When Jesus saw the world, he said they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, guys, often we pray for revival. We pray that God would send missionaries and we pray that God would send people to places to do things. But if we look back at Luke 9 and 10, Jesus asked the disciples to do that and they become the answer to their prayer. For you today, before we end this time, before I hop off stage and we have more songs, I want to challenge you to pray if God's actually calling you to go. That he would actually call you to go to a one place, wherever that might be, And that you wouldn't just pray for somebody else to go. Or that you wouldn't just pray for revival and not do anything about it. But that you would enter in. And be on mission with a God that's invited you to make an eternal impact. I mean, when I think about this, I think of what holds me back from this. But I think of my sin or I think of, you know, what do I do or how do I do this? But the need is so great. When I think of the need, it helps me get over myself a little bit. And I confess I need to do that. And in a lot of ways, one of the reasons my wife, Laura, and I moved down here is because we saw the lostness of Austin. We can forget when we're here at the well how lost our city really is. Does that break your heart at all? In fact, I want to show you a few stats here. These are pre-COVID stats, so bear with us here. But in Austin, did you know in 2017, this was the stat, 7% of Austin's population was in church on a Sunday morning. 7%. 
You just go a few hours up north, you got 44% in Dallas, Texas. Now you can talk about, is that cultural Christianity, whatever that might be. But man, there is a need in our city. In the United States, we we still live in this idea that we're a Christian country, Christian nation. In a lot of ways, we never were. But 43% of the United States are Protestant believers, born-again believers in Christ. In Morocco, this one gets me because of friends there. And and I want you to notice this, is that if you just took two of the well, really, you would have almost all the Moroccan Muslim background believers in that country. Point. 0.1%. 0.1%. That's 600 to 2,000 Moroccan-born believers in Christ. Essentially, that would be like having two of the well for the entire state of Texas plus 5 million more people. That's the, that's the lostness of that place. And as you hear some of this, I pray somebody get in here today gets called to go there. I, I pray, too, that our hearts will break, that we be broken, that there's 17,406 unreached people groups. These are people some total ethnicities who do not have access to the gospel. There's 3.27 billion people, 42.5% of the whole world's population does not have access to the gospel like you and I do. That means they don't even have a Bible in their language. They don't have access. The need for the gospel is both overwhelming and it should be an adventure. This is what we're partnering with God in. This is what we're empowered to do. You know, that's why we feel like part of our small parts of play in this as a church is to plant 100 churches nationally and 100 churches internationally. We recognize we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. See, this isn't just an individual thing that you should individually be broken over. It should be a corporate thing. It should change how we do things. It change how we use our money, how we use our time. Because we recognize that the need and the urgency is real. This should be the attitude of our collective hearts. And so we should partner together in this. Can you tell me the percentage of believers at your startup? Can you tell me the percentage of believers in your classroom at UT? Can you tell me the actual percentage of believers in your immediate and extended family that are actually walking with Jesus? And we get to partner with the king of the universe. Again, if you don't know Jesus, this is the most fun you will ever have in your life. Is that you get to be a part of bringing hope that the world is so desperate for. That every single person you know, including the person you look at in the mirror, is dying for. And trying to fill with other things of this world. You get to share that hope. And there should be a joy that we get in that. Paul understood the cost of this mission, the Apostle Paul, in Colossians 1, 24 through 25. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me to make the word of God fully known. Rejoicing in suffering, that's not a normal human response. That's not normal, guys. We just skip over that in the scriptures all the time. Paul is writing this from a prison cell full of hope. He's rejoicing that he could somehow suffer and be a part of the body of Christ, the church that is suffering for the sake of the gospel, this good news we've been talking about. 
That's why Paul is really a walking example as he's declaring this to the Colossians, the church at Colossae. He says that Christ is our hope of glory. He had learned through countless difficulties that Jesus was all he needed. We get to do the same. Does this mean that Christ's suffering wasn't enough? No, it means that we, the body of Christ, get to partner with him in that. This might be hard to hear, but how many of you were there when Jesus hung on the cross? Did you see it? Did you experience it? Have you seen his suffering? I wasn't there. But I have seen his character and his suffering around the world from people that are laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel. I think of the persecution and pain of Ziad and Manuel and Rafa and these guys who've gone through hell for the sake of the gospel. I've seen Jesus in them. And I pray that I could just be a little part of that. That you and I would be a little part of others seeing Jesus, that we would join with him in that suffering. Man, I don't know if you've found out where your one place is. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anything like that. But have you asked God yet? Have you actually said, I want to not just buy into this, but I want to change who I am in this. Have you asked God, do you know where he has called you? Where's that one place for you where you're going to share the gospel with others? Ask the Lord to speak to you if you haven't. Sometimes he might speak to you even when you don't want him to. Uh, Acts 18, 9 through 11 says this. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching them the word of God among them. That's pretty clear. I wish that would happen for you and me, right? Like, here's a vision from the Lord. Stay there 18 months. Boom, you're good. It's not that simple. It can be. In fact, I think of some of my favorite one places that God has given me. And the reality is that God changes those places and transitions you from time to time. And that can be one of the hardest, most painful things. When you start to fall in love with people at a place. When you start to get comfortable at that place. And so this, this picture here was my one place, not just in college, but for five years as a, as a college pastor after this. Any bobcats in the house? All right, Texas. That's what I thought. Okay, pretty much the only team that Texas State could beat in football right now is the Riverbats because they don't have a team. Um, but this right here was not only my one place, it was my office. It's where I actually met my bride. This was one of the coolest places for me in my life. I got to pray here day after day for almost six years. I got to see people come to Christ here. One semester, this is very good strategy here. We just held up a sign that said free prayer and 25 people came to Christ that semester. There was a lot that God was doing in this one place. And there was a day that I had met a guy and I saw him, this blonde haired blue eyed guy who I didn't know it at the time, become one of my best friends, really like my little brother. And as Zach walked by me, I tried to share a little card with him. Hey, come to this worship thing tonight. We'd love to see you there. He literally knocks it away and walks on, okay? I'm like, I'm going to get this guy. He comes back, does it the next week and the next week. And then he shows up, unbeknownst to me, at this worship night that I was leading. And 
He's just crying, standing on the side. I was like, oh God, thank you. You got him here. I don't know how you got him here. It definitely wasn't me. But I was announcing that we were having a Halloween party as a college ministry. And so I was dressed up as Ron Burgundy that night. Okay. I had a real mustache, but a wig on and a blue leisure suit. And I go up and I put my arm around him, forgetting that I'm dressed as Ron Burgundy. And I pray for him and I pray that God would free him from the anger that he's had in his heart. And he's got his eyes closed and he's crying. And he's, then he looks up at me and he's kind of freaked out. And I realize why he's freaked out. And what would happen after that is that I got to lead him to Christ at a Pluckers the next day. And then we went straight from there to the Christian bookstore. This feels like before Amazon was a thing. And got to buy him a Bible. And we actually read through about half of Genesis outside of Johnny Rockets in San Marcos. And then we just kept meeting every day, reading the word, reading the word. And here's Zach getting baptized. Not that much later after that. In the quad. We just set up a horse trough there because that was our office. That was our one place. And then he's gone on to Morocco and he's gone to Mozambique and he's gone to Haiti with me and we've gotten to share the gospel and we were invited into this adventure together. He's my brother. And it started with sharing the gospel and honestly being rejected multiple, multiple times in my one place. I actually got down on the the ground when I, I left Texas State and I did a little Kobe Bryant, you know, Michael Jordan kind of thing where they actually kiss the court when they leave. I kissed the quad and I got out of there. But it was a gift from God. It was so clear that that's where God wanted me. Later, I found out Zach wasn't the only guy that had run away from me or knocked out cards from my hand. There's actually about six guys that would come back later and say, yeah, I never took that from you, but I showed up across talking to that thing. I was rejected a lot. I didn't even know it. Praise God. I probably would have stopped. God told me that he still had people in that city. God has people at your one place. He has people in Austin, Texas. In the message version, it says this, and I'll just read this last part here of Acts 18, 9 through 11. I love what Eugene Peterson writes here. He says, you have no idea how many people I have on my side in this city. We have no idea how many people that God wants to draw to himself in Austin, Texas. Let's not limit our king. Let's be a part of what he's doing. For some of you, finding your one place is the easy part. It's clear. You know exactly where you're supposed to be. But for a lot of you, staying in your one place is going to be the real sacrifice. It might be your job. It might be your family. It might be that God's calling you out of those things. He's calling you to something. Pastor John Cox says this. He says, your job is not meant to make you happy. Your job is meant to make you holy. <laughs> Thanks, Anthony. Your job is not meant to make you happy. Your job is meant to make you holy. What if you viewed your job that way? What if you viewed your family that way? What if you were committed and faithful in such a way that you would stay in your one place? I believe firmly that God can take a secular institution and make it a sacred destination. For a lot of us, we've forgotten how powerful our God really is. And so we need to believe and remember that he is sovereign wherever you are.
So number two, we need an attitude of belief. Not just brokenness, but do we really believe? Do you believe that Jesus is drawing people to himself? Are you willing to do the work of prayer in that? We're asking you to pray two hours a month, as Tori preached on a few weeks ago. Is prayer fueling you? Is that part of what's fueling you along the journey? Are you willing to be present? Just three hours of presence a month. I mean, that's just a few lattes and hanging out in a coffee shop if that's where you're going to be. It doesn't take much, but presence matters. See, the witness depends on the presence. The witness depends on the presence. When you think of Moses witnessing God going by, it mattered that God was actually present there with him. He saw, he understood, because God was present. If we want people to see Jesus in us, we need to be present. Colossians 1.26 says this, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a mystery revealed. You and I are in on this news that people previously were not in on. This is a mystery. It's been revealed. It is the miracle of salvation. See, Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the answer to this question, this mystery of everything in the scriptures. And Paul is declaring this. And you and I get to share this. He says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. What does that mean? What does it mean? It means God's chosen to reveal himself to you. If God didn't want to, you wouldn't know him. Simply, God has chosen to reveal who he is to you, and he wants you to reveal that hope to the world. He does this for all Gentiles. That's really, that word right there in Greek is actually all ethne. All ethnicities is who God has opened this good news to. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This hope is the truth. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Man, do you really believe that? If you really believe Jesus is the only way, you will tell somebody. Will we share this? He is worth sharing. I'm convinced Satan's going to do everything he can to distract you and convince you that Jesus is not worth sharing about. Somehow Satan tempts you into thinking that your short little life is all that matters. Don't you know that you were born for something more? You have the hope of glory in you. You have good news worth sharing. You have the answer to this mystery. I mean, if a doctor knows the way to save somebody's life and doesn't do it, they don't act. It's a criminal charge for malpractice. See, there's sins of commission where we know that we're in sin and there's sins of omission. James 14, 7 says, anyone that knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for him. So I hate to break it to you, but literally because you've been here today, you know too much not to share the gospel. You'd be committing a sin of omission if you don't do it. Or you're not in Christ. And I know that might be heavy, but I think you'd rather receive truth than a cupcake here today. Because the reality is that God isn't done with you. He's not done with me. And he's got good news worth sharing. I mean, let's, let's be real. Do you believe in the Bible? Because if you do, you're going to share it because it talks about hell. 
And if I'm really honest and I confess with you, I often whine and complain my way through life in my circumstances, thinking that I'm living in hell, when there's people walking by me every day and driving by me that are eternally going to hell, that have not had this mystery revealed. D.L. Moody once said, winners of souls must first be weepers of souls. So I'm going to ask you a question that you probably can't answer today, but do you care? Do you care? We're not ending this series with this rah-rah thing. It's, it's do you care about the lost? I'm encouraged, though, when I look at saints who are going forward. That's why we come together every week. I'm encouraged by people around the world. I'm encouraged by Josh Guerrero, the, our first church planner, really, of Refuge Church in South Austin, seeing his faithfulness and seeing people come to Christ there. I'm encouraged by Mikko Bundov, who many of you will never meet until you get to heaven. He's a former heroin addict in Gafgelia, Macedonia. His church, about 80% of his church when I was there, was full of former heroin addicts and a former Greek Orthodox priest that would sneak into their meetings because he wanted to know this real Jesus. I think of my friend Mark who sacrificed his social equity and a ton of money for the sake of the gospel and has trained hundreds of church planners across the Middle East. I think of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan we prayed for just a few weeks ago, who many of which chose to stay in their one place. Think about it. Think about that one place could really mean. They chose to stay there knowing they're facing death from the Taliban. This should stir something in us to care. We should love in this. Last week, Jacob Brown, one of our elders, talked about sowing seeds, and he crushed it. And so I would encourage you to go back, listen to that talk from last week. But he talked specifically about sowing seeds of friendship as we share the gospel. See, relationships take time, and the gospel moves at the speed of relationship. And so I want to give you this quote so it sticks in your mind, especially if you're afraid of rejection or if you're afraid of what this friend might think of you. But a missionary friend, Paul Dunn, he says this. He says, we must build bridges of trust that can withstand the weight of truth. We must build bridges of trust that can withstand the weight of truth. If you're here today and you're worried about what somebody's going to think of you, surrender that to the Lord and build a bridge that can withstand the weight of truth. So we talked about brokenness. We talked about really believing this truth. And now I just want to give us an attitude of boldness. Will you proclaim the hope you carry? Romans 10 reminds us, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? That's not preaching like a peer like Tori or somebody else. That's you sharing the gospel with them. We get to do this together. We're on mission together. We're empowered together. We should be fueled up together. Do you know how dangerous it is to hike the Grand Canyon by yourself? How foolish that would be? Because you're on an adventure and you have no idea what's around the next corner. We should do this together. This is why we do community groups. This is why we're in discipleship making intensives. This is why we equip people together before they go overseas. Verse 28 and 29 say this of Colossians 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
Man, what good news is that? I think 85% of my personal sin, if I can be honest with you, comes by trying to work on my own energy and out of my own energy. It's every time I'm trying to do something to prove something to myself, God, or others that I fall into sin. But if I toiled with his energy, man, what could God do with this broken, jacked up instrument of a person? I've seen him do some incredible things. And it's not me. I've been able to be present. I've been able to pray. These are pretty basic things that I've been invited into that make an eternal difference. Man, we want to proclaim the gospel. We're saying at least four times in that one place, proclaim the gospel. We want you to build relationships with at least five people. Why? I mean, we are brokenhearted over the lostness of this world. We believe that Jesus is the only hope. And we will boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. You're in a church that actually wants to do this and try to let Jesus do this. And I love that about the well. We're empowered by our hope. Not our own strength, but the hope of glory. That we have a hope we're sharing with the broken and the needy. Going back to Acts 1.8, all the way at the beginning here. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Witnesses is actually a word there that's almost exactly the same as Jesus is saying here, as martyrs. You will be my martyrs. It's a pretty direct language he's using, in fact. And while Jesus might not call you in this room to lay down your life physically for the sake of the gospel... I think he's asking all of us to lay down something for him today. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. There is a waiting to be sent. And if you've been confused in this series and you're like, I don't know what to do or how to do this when I get to my one place. You need to go in the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit. To be empowered, to have the right fuel for the journey. I guarantee you, if me and Tyler had stayed in the Grand Canyon another hour, one of us would have passed out. In fact, I had to have park rangers come and give me more pretzels and chips to get out of there, okay? It's a dangerous task going on this journey. It's a danger to yourself, to your family, because it'll take away all the comfort of this world if you start to obey Jesus. So who is this Jesus? Man, I think of what Paul laid down. You know, a lot of us, if we've grown up in church, we think Paul's name just changed and Jesus changed his name from Saul to Paul. But in reality, his one place changed. See, Paul's name was not like legally changed, like we're going to go get a social security card or anything like that, okay? Paul's name changed because the people that he was with changed. See, he went... From his Hebrew name, he's called a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he now goes to the Romans who speak Greek. And so because his people changed, his name changed. His one place changed him. It changed his identity. And I pray for many of you in here that your identity would change because of the calling of one place that Jesus is calling you to today. 
that you wouldn't be able to walk out of this place thinking, oh yeah, it was a great time with the world. I just can't wait to, but you would actually be broken over the lostness of this city, of those at your workplace that unless they know Jesus are going to hell. Does that resonate with us? Are we willing to lay down our name for the sake of his name? And if your one place is calling you to do that, man, remember who Jesus really is. In conclusion here, as we close up, I want to remind you of who this Jesus is. Whether you want to close your eyes in this moment or you want to look at the words on the screen, I'm going to read the first part of Colossians 1. And this is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And it's one of the most palpable realities and almost just announcements of who Jesus is. Paul's giving this to a people that need to be reminded of the truth. And so I want to give you this truth as we close out this series and as we remember who this Jesus is that we proclaim. Colossians 1, 15 through 23 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and visible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And there he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, the body. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and fed steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the Jesus that we proclaim. This is the Jesus that we share. He is worthy to be proclaimed. You have good news worth sharing. I feel like today I would be committing a sin of omission if I didn't take this chance to share with you if you are not in Christ here that he welcomes you freely, that he knows your past and he knows your future, and yet he still laid down his life for you. And he's inviting you today to trust him with your life, that you would know him and that you would be known by him, that the king and creator of the universe wants to know you, have a relationship with you, forgive you and give you a hope. He is our hope of glory. He is worthy to be praised. As we end this series, we want to do something a little bit different. And so if you're an elder or a staff member or on our prayer team, would you actually go ahead and come to the front now rather than later and stand up here? 
We wanna give you a chance to be prayed over, that you would be filled and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. That as you go to your one place, that you'd be free to come forward and receive prayer. And so as these next few songs we, we go through, would you actually come forward as you might be facing your family and thinking, I don't know how I'm gonna share in my one place. I don't know how I'm gonna go do this and work. Would you actually surrender that to the Lord and come forward and receive prayer? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we come to you during this time we ask that you would empower us with your hope. Would you lead us? Would we love people? Would we care for them? Would you use us in these one places? If you feel like your one place is your family, you don't have to come forward, but if it's your family, if it's your spouse, if it's a parent, somebody in your extended family, would you actually just stand up? If you're one place that God's calling you to is your family, would you stand today? Thank you, Father. Go ahead and say, stay standing. If your one place is your work and you just feel like God's calling you to your company, to where you're working in this season, would you go ahead and stand? God's calling you, maybe like Paul, to go from Saul to Paul and, and even change or shift or go somewhere new. And you're just saying, God, I don't know what to do. Would you tell me what to do right now? If that's you, would you just stand up where you are? If anybody in here today is feeling called to the nations, that stat in Morocco and it wrecks you like it wrecks me, would you stand? God's calling you. If you're around these folks, would you just reach out your hand towards one of them? Father, we surrender our expectations of what you want to do in these one places. We surrender our need of ourselves know even if we're being rejected or not God uh, we surrender who we think we're supposed to reach we ask right now would you fill us up with your spirit would you empower us to go to be sent as a family of the well into our work into our family into the nations whatever changes and places along the way you have for us. We trust you, Jesus. And we remember that you are the hope of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can either sit, stand for worship. We're gonna enter into communion.
And just be reminded that this is for believers and those that have decided to follow Jesus in this time, that we would remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross and how he has given his life freely for us. If you wanna come up and receive prayer as you think about going to that one place or if you want to come forward and pray with one of these folks as you've given your life to Christ, maybe today or maybe recently here at the well, they would love to pray for you.